Hi, it's Tony and Jenny Bruski from Real Ghost Stories Online. Every week, we work hard at giving you the best real ghost stories we can find for free through the podcast. But producing and maintaining the show isn't so free for us. And that's why we're asking for your support. If you like the show, please become an EPP. That's an extra podcast person through the button at realghoststoriesonline.com. As an EPP, you'll get an additional bonus exclusive episode of the show to enjoy every weekend. Plus, you'll have access to our exclusive EPP video content and backlog of exclusive EPP bonus episodes as well. It's only five bucks a month for all these extras. And your support helps to keep our daily free version of the show alive and on the air. Become an EPP now at realghoststoriesonline.com. Please and thank you. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You are about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. And tonight on the show, many people subscribe to the principles of feng shui, but could the placement of a bed be what is summoning a ghost. A healthcare worker in Appalachia thought he'd seen it all, that is, until one recent night while driving home. Two soldiers driving in rural Colorado were positively, were positive they hit a man with their car. It was until they stopped to render him help. And a mother believes her child's imagination is getting the best of him, but she can't get over the gruesome sights he's telling her about. Those stories, your calls, and more tonight on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again. Hello. Hi, how are you this fine evening? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well. It was fun watching Cocoon again for the first time in about 20 years. I know, I watched it for the first time as an adult, and it hit me differently than I thought it would. It was a very different movie. I mean, I don't. it's funny when you kind of watch some of these movies that you haven't seen since you were like eight, uh-huh. and then you're like, Oh, yeah, I like that movie. It's it's like watching it for the first time again because you don't remember most of it. And kind of the meanings of a lot of the movie have completely changed because your perspective has changed so dramatically. Oh, yeah. Over the years. But uh, Wilford Brimley is someone who uh, I think he actually found the way to live forever. <laughs> I think Cocoon wasn't so much a movie for him as it was real life because he looks exactly the same today as he did in that movie when it was filmed, was like 25 years ago? Yeah, about 25 years ago. Yeah. And I think he's just one of those people that aged early. Yeah. And so he was able to stay in that same typecast position yeah, for I, a long I, time. I, I think it was one of those where, you're exactly right, where they, they saw him and like, oh, we can make you look really old. When he wasn't, like in natural, real life, I think he looked younger, but they could put the makeup on him to make him look so much older, Mm -hmm. so they can make him look like a 75-year-old, when really he was like 42. Yeah. And now you look at him, and he's like, he looks exactly like he did in Cocoon, but the thing is, it's without the makeup now. Yeah. So it's it's like, oh, I don't know if that's a skill I would ever want to have, you know? Well, I Googled it, and he was about 25 to 30 years younger than his other cast people that yeah. he was you know that that he was in the movie with some of them yeah. were born in like 1909 here he's like in 1930 something there's two old men from cinema that i think about that look 
like perpetually the same age for about 30 year span. It's Wilfred Brimley and it's the old guy from somewhere in time in Seinfeld. Yes, he the, doesn't age at all. And he was in, he's in so many movies and he's like in just he's like these random roles. He's never like a leading role that I can think of. Mm-mm. Unless it was like some Hallmark Hall of Fame movie with him that I'm uh, you know unfamiliar with. But um I forget what his name is. I met him once uh-huh. um at the Grand Hotel in uh Mikanaw Island. And um just a he has the same personality in real life as he did in the movies. Just kind of you know, just very out yeah. there with his humor, just kind of almost barking what he says. Um, he's passed away, though, recently. But uh-huh. but, he, but Wilfred Brimley and that guy were the two that I always thought about and, and as the, you know, go-to old men for pretty much like mid-70s movies to about the mid-90s. Yeah. Well, I think watching this movie hit me so differently this time because my dad looks just like Wilford Brimley. He does. And in fact, the girls see him on, see Wilford Brimley on TV and they both cry out, Pappy! And I'm like, no, that's not Pappy. But the last time I watched that movie, my dad looked more like Magnum P.I. He did. And yeah. so it's it's just different. So the sentimental part where he's telling the grandchild goodbye, that just really got to me because I was sure. like, this is so dumb. I know that's not my dad, but yeah. I'm going to ball at this 30 year old movie <laughs> because that's how I am but you're, it's true because your dad and, and there's the older pictures of him like holding you up when you were little mm-hmm. it's like oh it's Magnum yes yeah he went from Tom Selleck to Wilford Brimley it happens it does you get old yep you know and it's it's just one of those things and what's weird about it is because it doesn't seem that long ago that we were watching that for the first time I know you know as kids and it's like Okay, well, we have children now who are watching it for the first time, and they're the same age we were when we were watching it. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, how old does this movie look to them is what I always wonder about. I don't know. You know, does it look like an old... Like, I remember watching old movies as a kid with my parents, and they looked old. Yeah. Do movies today, they were made, you know, post-1988, do they look as old as movies did to us when we were that age. I mean, black and white was what we saw for a sure. lot of But I don't know. I mean, but there's, they're not HD. No, but, you know, I think really and truly the quality difference, it's not as vast as it was from like when our parents were kids and they were like, oh, this is a great movie. Watch this. And it's like, this is black and white and weird. And I can't, I don't yeah. have the attention span for it. I think it's the mo- the thing that is the most telling is what people are wearing and you know the technology or you know like in home alone too the fact the kid could get on an airplane by accident to the wrong place that would never happen without yeah all the security and all that i think those are going to be the things that they look at more than anything like that's not physically possible not anymore yeah exactly it was a good movie yeah. Good so, old Cocoon. I've yeah. never seen Cocoon 2. Have you seen Cocoon 2? No. It like pops up every now and then on the video services, but I don't know. Is Wilfred Brimley in, in the part 2, or is it like a made-for-TV no, made type? No, I think it's the original cast. We should check that one out, then. Okay, we've killed seven <laughs> minutes talking about Cocoon, so let's read some ghost Today's stories. Today's episode is called Cocoon. No. Uh, Amanda writes it. <laughs> When I was 15 years old, my family moved into a new house. My parents told us that we can each pick our own bedroom. And I picked the room in the back. Right next to my room was the garage, and the only window in my room overlooked the backyard. I always took pride in my bedroom. I kept it clean and organized. I enjoyed playing with the furniture, and 
regard and uh, rearranged it about uh, once every six month months. There was uh, many times I would feel someone watching me while I slept. I'd wake up at night. There'd be a figure of someone between four to five feet tall standing beside my bed. I could see the head and shoulders, much like the black figure on the paper at the shooting range. Though it was black, I could still see through it. I never felt scared and thought it was just a groggy dream. I mentioned it to my family. My mom wouldn't let me talk about it. She thought I was just trying to scare my younger sisters. As I mentioned before, I kept my room clean and also hate the sight of electronic wires. I had a little three-foot shelf that I kept my alarm clock on, and uh, at the foot of my bed, I always uh, ran the alarm clock from the back of the shelf to the front, so to hide the wire. I started noticing when I came home from school that the wire would be wrapped around the front of the shelf. I'd once again move the alarm clock to the back of the shelf to hide the wire. One night, I woke up to see my alarm clock stretched out to the middle of the room about two feet off the floor. I sat up, keeping my eyes on the alarm clock. I blinked, thinking this can't really be happening, and when I opened my eyes again, the alarm clock was back on the shelf. Even after knowing what I saw, I still felt no harm and fell back asleep. When I got up the next morning, I looked at the shelf and there was a wire wrapped around to the front of the shelf again. I pulled out the alarm clock and stretched it out as far as I could, as far as it would go without being unplugged. It was right where I had seen it the night before. I mentioned this at the supper table to my family. My dad looked at me as if I had the best imagination ever, while my mom scolded me once again for trying to scare my sisters. The nightly figures and alarm clock incident had all happened at various times while I had my bed on one specific wall. While I still continued to rearrange my room every few months, I avoided putting my bed on that wall. Everything stopped happening. A few years later, in attending college, I still lived at my parents in the same room. I got curious. I, n- nothing had happened for a long time, and I thought whatever it was had left. I rearranged my room again and put the headboard of my bed against the wall. Nothing happened for a couple months. I woke up one night to hear our dog in the backyard barking continuously. She was getting on my nerves, and I was about to get up when I heard it. A, lo- a low, growling voice outside my bedroom window on the outside of our fence. I tried to listen to it. It was a language I had never heard. This was the first time I had ever been terrified. I started quoting scripture, and the growling and the mumbling stopped after the first four verses. I kept on quoting scripture, and when I couldn't remember any more, I sang hymns until I fell asleep. I mentioned that to my parents only without my sisters around, and once again my dad looked at me with a grin while my mom scolded me. A few years later, my boyfriend and I were getting pretty serious. My dad came to me and asked if I would like to continue living in my bedroom after being married. He would cut a door frame in the wall that separated my room from the garage and would convert the garage into a kitchen, small living room, and restroom. We could pay a small rent and still save money for a house while my husband-to-be finished college. We accepted the offer. 
few weeks before our wedding, I felt that I should tell my fiancé about the things that had happened in my bedroom. He said, whatever you do, don't put the bed on that wall. One night after we had been married for a few months, my husband was at work during the Christmas season. I was on the bed looking at the finances when I thought I heard him come home. I called out his name and there was no answer. I saw a shadow pass through the new doorway, leading to the bedroom to the new kitchen. I looked up and no one was there. I called out to my husband again and there was no answer. I walked into the kitchen about four feet past the refrigerator and a coupon from the top of the refrigerator floated diagonally in the air over my head and fell down in front of me. The heater was not on and the fans were turned off. My husband hadn't come home yet. We'd adopted a little beagle puppy. On many occasions, a dog would start growling and barking at a certain point in the air. We knew he was ferocious on something, or focused on something. A few seconds later, he would stop. One night, we were sitting on the couch watching TV when the dog jumped off the couch and ran into the bathroom, barking and growling. We heard him giving a little whimper and saw him back out of the bathroom with his gaze focused on something. He started barking and growling again. My husband and I both saw his nose be knocked towards the ground as if someone had hit him on the nose. My husband said, Did you see that? The dog shook it off and continued barking. I got off the couch and called the dog in a calm manner. I slowly walked to him and picked him up and carried him back to the couch. I had an eyewitness. Next time we were at my family's part of the house, I told the story with my husband putting, his, uh, putting in his views. Once again, my dad grinned, and my mom told me very sternly to stop telling these stories. I'm only trying to scare my sisters. She reminded me that cheap rent and a decent apartment was a privilege. The dog's nose getting hit is the only thing my husband ever saw while we were living there. He often felt something watching him, and could even feel someone just inches from his face. Shortly after our third anniversary, we bought a house and hadn't seen anything since. Each one of my sisters has stayed in my old room. Neither one of them had anything happen to them. Of course, they always called me over there when they moved in to point out which wall not to put the bed on. They said they believe my stories and don't want to have anything to do with a ghost. About two years ago, I got a call from my mom and she apologized for not taking me seriously. She said she had just seen it. This was during the day and she was doing laundry right outside the old doorway of my bedroom. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw a figure on the wall. She stopped and looked at it. Is between four to five feet tall, head and shoulders straight down, much like the figure at the shooting range. She thought that someone must be in the backyard looking at the looking in the window, and it's casting a shadow on the whole wall. She walked to the window, and no one was there. She came back to the laundry area, and the figure was still on the wall. She walked up to the shadow and rubbed the wall. She walked back into the laundry area and looked back, and it was still there. The washer had begun to agitate, and 
It reminded her to put the clothes in the washer. She bent down to grab some clothes off the floor and looked back again, and the figure was gone. She believes that it was my great-grandmother who came to visit after passing a few years prior. My great-grandmother lived until the age of 97 years old, and I remember her and her death very vividly. I was seeing things way before my great-grandmother passed away. I don't believe that it was her. But it gives a happy explanation to my mom. Since that time, it appeared for my mom, nothing else has happened. My dad takes my, my husband's, and now my mom's stories with a grain of salt. Not calling us liars, but not fully believing us. I've never heard of a story where just one particular area of a room was what was affected. I wonder if there was something like under the floor or, you know, something they don't know about that happened in that particular spot. I just find it really interesting that it only happened when the bed was on that one particular wall. Like something being physically connected to whatever object was touching it? Yeah. Haunted boards? I don't know. It, it's just strange because you would think the whole room would be haunted but it's just that one particular area that seems to stir up the... It's like a trigger. Yeah, yeah. Like something with the fact that there's a human entity or something touching it. Because I don't don't necessarily think it's the bed that's triggering it. I think it's her body that's near something that's triggering it. And if she's laying there for a long period of time in a bed, Mm -hmm. that's what's bringing it out. Okay. I mean, it kind of goes back to the old... You know, Horicon bunk bed unsolved mysteries story where it was the wood of the bunk bed that seemed to be bringing these things out. Yeah. You know, was it, you know, is it something within the beams of, but, but again, you have to wonder had no one slept in that bed, would those things be happening? Were the bodies itself triggering? Because it only seemed to be triggered when the kids were in bed. Okay. So, same thought process beds or the the bed is close to a wall or a beam of some sort that has something attached to it and then events start happening right does it go back to the old what was this tree used for at one point in time I hope not I think that just goes so far in depth I don't know anything possibly could be haunted at that point the thing is you need old trees to get lumber and, yes any, and, no. and, and any well, for the most part, I mean, at least some age on the tree, and any tree that was harvested in the seventies or eighties, you know, had to have been you know at least planted in the you know twenties or thirties. Well, sure, but it you know any more places that use a lot of lumber, they kind of have like a like a tree. Today they do. You're right. Area yeah, where today they, they do get that. So I would but, think the chances yeah. of something happening there would be different than just random trees. Well, today they do. You're right. I think. I think. <laughs> I think most beds today are safe. Okay. And most lumber that you get today is pretty much from a tree farm. Uh, but some of the older stuff before mass farming and production of things, there was a lot of just 
going into the wilderness and getting wood. And there still is a lot of that. I mean, I'm not to say that that doesn't exist. There is certainly a lot of logging that goes on just in random wilderness. But it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into areas where people never lived. Okay. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It's pretty far out there. It is. Anything's possible, but it's pretty far out there. Are you completely dismissing it? No, okay. I'm not. I just think it's kind of more on my slightly annoyed <laughs> level than okay. my totally dismiss it. I think there's a possibility in some, I'm not saying every case, but I think some cases that could very well be a possibility. Just saying. JC writes in, hello, my name is JC. And I work on call for a crisis mobile unit handling emergency calls that range from suicide attempts to drug overdoses. So odd and late hours are not unusual for me. The area I most often called out to is in the Appalachia area of North Carolina in the mountains. The public knows this area best for the Brown Mountain Lights phenomena, a paranormal event which is unexplainable lights that can be seen floating across the vast deep mountain sides on any given night. Scientists claim the lights come from some sort of reaction between gases, and storytellers claim the lights are from ghosts of Cherokee Indians carrying torches in an effort to find their way out of the purgatory. As the area is known for its brutal Indian massacres, it left hundreds, if not thousands, dead. However, I know this area for its cultural aspects. I must be careful in my choice of words, and I strongly state... This is not the lifestyle of the majority of Appalachia, but there are several commune-type communities deep within these woods that still believe and harbor antiquated beliefs such as living solely off the land for food, water, resources, no, no electricity, no modern amenities, and most unfortunately, a belief that relations are to be kept between a single family. Read into that how you will. Obviously, this leads to a lot of mental and physical health issues that require attention. But the secrecy and vagabond lifestyle of these people doesn't allow for much assistance, even legally, as 99% of them are born at home and never even acquire identification. They can simply appear and disappear by relocating to another area of the they call home. I've encountered several families like this during my time as a human service professional. Contact is more often than not initiated by word of mouth. Someone who knows someone will relay the message to these communities that a health clinic will be set up at a specific location at a certain time and anyone in desperate need of assistance can find us. There are no words to describe the feeling of setting up a mobile bus in the clearing at the bottom of a heavily wooded mountainside and watching people in varying states of health. Again, read into that how you will, slowly make their way to you, more often than not wearing rags and barefoot. It's like the Hills of Eyes shit. Or deliverance. So this exists? Yes. Really? Yes. I was unaware of that. Yes, it does. It's not made up. I mean, I know there was like kind of rednecks out there that... No, this is... That they're moonshine shit. I don't know, it was like... This is a whole nother level. Yeah. This is people that... They're like in, mutants. Incest is a common thing among among these people. So it's just... It's like mental illness breeding mental illness mm -hmm. and physical illness because they... 
just keep perpetuating it. Right. And with the lack of resources, they don't have, you know... They don't, they don't know any better. Right. Well, that's disturbing. It, it's a true story. Continuing on, well, I'm learning something. It's literally the scariest yet saddest thing you can witness. Three weeks ago, on November 1st of 2014, I was driving home from one of these visits. It's approximately 3 a.m. as we tend to keep our mobile units out. I've never heard the term mobile units outside of Wichita, Kansas. Really? No. Mobile units. Pretty generic statement. In Wichita, we use it for like radio station vehicles that go and check out weather conditions. Uh-huh. But I've never heard it used outside of... Okay, continuing on. I'm sorry. I just had to point that out. Keep our mobile, mo- our mobile units outside of uh, for a solid 24 hours and keep as many people... Uh, or give as many people the opportunity to receive attention as possible. The back roads of Brown Mountain area are utterly creepy. The state doesn't maintain private roads, so most are merely dirt paths edged by uh, archaic-looking trees. As you drive to the mountain interstate, it will require multiple stops for wildlife crossing. The night was bitterly cold and required the heat on full blast. An earlier rain had turned uh, potholes of rain into solid sheets of ice, and needless to say, I adjusted my seat within an inch of the windshield just to try to get civil uh, just to try to get civilization. I had traveled around five miles from the mobile location when, out of nowhere, a large Buck darted out in front of me, causing me to slam on my brakes, and thanks to awesomely bad luck, slide across a pocket of ice and slam directly into the deer. Its horns broke straight through my windshield before it bounced off my car and landed a good ten feet in front of my car. There's absolutely no light in this remote area, and the uh, my and only my headlights provided any sort of visibility. I was obviously in shock, and I remember covering my mouth and just cursing to myself that I should have been more observant. Fortunately, we're advanced enough to have those uh, eyesore tree-shaped cell towers and I placed a phone call to 911 requesting assistance as uh, windshieldless. I was very stranded. Multiply the time you would imagine assistance to arrive in a short environment by five and you'll get some idea of how long I waited alone in my car Heater on full blast, staring out from behind shattered glass as a dying deer withered in front of my vehicle. Realizing that I may need to conserve my gas and battery, I turned off my engine and left nothing more than my hazard lights on, slowly blinking, creating ambient bursts of yellow light before fading to black. Intermediately, like a slow dying strobe light. In the newfound silence, I could hear nothing more than the blinking of my lights and the horrific groans of the deer. I felt completely completely isolated, vulnerable, and alone. Obviously, I wanted to avoid eye contact with the dying deer, so I allowed my vision to trail off to the sides of the road. It was during this time I first realized I was, in fact, not alone. Off to the passenger side of my car, I noticed a small light flickering back and forth between the trees. It dotted back and forth in a pattern that I can only describe as rapid and with a purpose. Whomever or whatever it was knew these woods like the palm of their hands and was quickly approaching. As the light got closer to my location, I noticed it was not a flashlight or some sort of lantern, but a torch. 
flames dancing against the darkness. This is when my mind started to play tricks on me. I mentally debated this was someone who has heard the impact and was coming to my rescue, or if it was something else. The fact of not knowing was scarier than knowing. Therefore, I panicked and slipped out of my car, being conservatively quiet. I quickly made my way to the opposite side of the dirt road and hid in a thicket of bushes. I literally laid flat on my stomach and was so scared, I stretched my head to the side so not even it would be visible, but would still allow my line of vision. When you're in a time of panic, time slows. Minutes become hours, and I can remember holding my breath to the point of feeling faint, only then being reminded to breathe. Some may think my reaction was silly, being that I am a trained medical professional and all, but what I saw next will make you realize my instinct was very, so very correct. From my position, on the cold ground, flat on my stomach, head stretched to my side, I saw something I have absolutely no name for crawl into my field of vision, literally crawl. Tall, slender, covered in both pellets and mud, this thing crawled out of the field on its hands and knees in a very predatory stance. I only have flash memories after this point as I was literally scared to the point of fearing passing out. I have a mental image of the thing standing up and in my mind seemed to be well over six feet tall. However, for some reason, be it the emancipated figure or the overgrown matted hair, I feel as if it was a woman. I remember the thing staring intensely at her surroundings from the deer to my car and ultimately at my hiding spot. The thing's eyes were cloudy white, not supernatural white, but like that of someone with glaucoma, as they also reflected upon hazard lights. For whatever reason, even though we made direct eye contact, the thing never approached me. Instead, it slowly, with intent, walked over to the deer, leaning down to pet its slough softly, looked up at my car, and slowly made its way over to the driver's side door. I just escaped moments before. It gazed upon everything with curiosity, as if it was unaware of what my car actually was, or if it had any grasp of the situation as a whole. I remember it tracing its fingers along the door and finally over the broken windshield before returning to the still groaning deer. I remember the thing hovering over the dying animal, its arms outstretched and its fingers coiling in and out as if it was intensely thinking. Ever so slowly, the thing lay down beside the deer, coddling its neck within its frail arms, looking up into the sky, and after a loud snapping of the deer's neck, the night fell silent once more. Still holding the deer's neck, the thing began to retreat back into the woods across from me, in that same slow, intentional, yet backwards, crawl. I watched, terrified, as it dragged both the weight of its own body and that of the deer deep into the night. My most vivid memory of this event is the final moments, seeing the hoof of the deer disappear from sight. 
I did not move from my position on the floor of the woods until I saw police lights. I cannot tell you how much time it passed on to that. The sun was beginning to peak the skyline. Initially, the responders believed I had been thrown from the car and would need medical assistance. It took a lot of convincing on my part to assure them that I had did, in fact, hit an animal and left my car at my own discretion, seeking warmth and shelter without risking my battery dying and thus losing any chance of them locating me. I, of course, admitted the part of seeing the thing both kill and drag the deer back into the woods and assured them it had simply hobbled off on its own. I think my profession was the most credible reasoning behind the story, I told them. Due to the nature of the weather, I was transported via police and my car was immediately towed to a mechanic for repairs. It wasn't until yesterday that I was able to retrieve it. When I arrived to pick it up, I could barely look at my vehicle without feeling nauseated. After small talk and a hefty fee, I was given the keys to my car and I slowly approached it. The new windshield wiper was pristine. Gave me a little hope that in time, I'd be able to experience that unexplainable night. It wasn't until I looked at the side of my door and noticed five long, filmy fingerprints tracing the entire frame that I understood it will never happen. I come from the school of science. I believe everything has a rational explanation. That is why I found it important to include, include both reference to the tales of the brown mountain lights and of the culture of this area, therefore allowing for any possible theories to be covered. Why did my body go into fight or flight when I am scholastically trained to handle all crises in the exact opposite manner? Could it have been a reclusive member of the Appalachia Backwoods? Could it have been an Indian entity the storytellers claim haunt these woods? Could it have been something that I simply do not have the intelligence to comprehend? I may never know. I do know I'll be purchasing a new car very soon. I don't care if it's just a freaking Kia. Seriously yours, or sincerely yours, JC in NC. That was a very well-written story. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder if that was one of those unexplained ghost entities of the Indians that have died. I'm thinking more so mutated, inbred mountain person. But see, that's the thing. We'll never know. Is there any other stories of this sort of thing going on out there? Huh? I mean, I said, I wonder if there's any other stories of this sort of thing going on out there. Scary backwoods stories? Of entities, or what people may think are entities, showing up, you know, in places in the area mm-hmm. that have are you know been so you know messed up mm-hmm. just because of the inbreeding that they do look like something out of a horror movie I mean my mind just keeps going back to the hills have eyes I never saw that one you don't want to okay it's disturbing okay it's a very 
bizarre, dark movie. And there's characters like that, like she described in that movie. Okay. So, I don't know. I always just kind of thought it was more so folklore and myth than it was... No. Reality. No. There's all kinds of things up in the mountains in Appalachia. And I apologize if anyone's listening to our podcast up there. Maybe a breakaway person from one of the clans that has an iPhone. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what's going on. That just loves listening to our show. (laughs) You guys won't believe this you're talking about. (laughs) No. No. But uh, I, I honestly was unaware. I, I, I didn't think. I mean, I, I knew of, you know, like mountain communities and just kind of rednecky folks. But I never I didn't think it was like that. That yeah. exists. Yes. Really? Yes, that exists. How documented is that? It's pretty well documented. Is there like YouTube videos? <laughs> I have no idea. You can probably find that out. The has, only has Adam the Woo visited them. No, the only reason that I. I kind of know that exists and it has nothing to do with my family taking part in any of that. But my dad's side of the family comes from Kentucky and apparently that was something that would also happen in Kentucky. Okay. My family was not part of that. It had Mm -hmm. nothing to do with it, but that's... It's just kind of known in the culture. Yeah. It's kind of like you, you just know, you know how here in Kansas we know about like the different cultures in the different areas. That's something they know about in those states. It's just like, they're up there, we don't really go there, they're mm kind of left alone, they don't come down, and we really can't get to them, and they really can't get to us. Yeah. Unless we seek them out. Yeah. Okay. And then you're probably not in for a good time if they find you. They're not going to invite you in for a beverage. Invite you in for something else. Wow. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And disturbing all at the same time. It's a good story. It really is. It's one of the best ones I think we've had. Yeah, I thought so. Rob writes in, hello guys, I love the show. I don't think he talks like that, but I'm just talking like that for whatever That's reason. so obnoxious. <laughs> I love listening to your podcast. No, no don't make him talk like that. <laughs> I can make anyone talk like anything. That's I the know. fun part of this. Yeah. I can just kind of change your whole personality. You are the puppet master. <laughs> I was listening to your podcast last night and caught the episode about F.E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne. I was amazed at hearing this since I was stationed there from 1997 to 2009 and have several paranormal experiences of my own. My first one took place in 1997 in the month of December. The dormitory I was living in was a large two-story U-shaped brick building that was built in the late 1800s to house cavalry soldiers to protect railroad workers from Indian attacks. My room was on the second floor directly across from a door that led to the stairwell, and it was normal to hear foot traffic going up and down the stairs through all hours of the day. Since it was the month of December, most of the other personnel living in the dorm were away on leave since it was a holiday season, leaving my dorm rather quiet. At the time, I was a young 19-year-old airman who worked maintenance on the ICBM missiles in what is known as the missile field. I'll explain this a little more in a bit. I just finished up a 16-hour work shift in the missile field and got back to my room. It was about 11 at night, and I wanted nothing more than to take a shower and jump into bed since I had another day of work ahead of me. Having just climbed into bed and closed my eyes, I started. I was startled by the sounds of someone running down the hallway 
followed by the stairwell the stairwell door opening and slamming shut. I thought nothing of it and closed my eyes to get some sleep. Roughly two minutes later, I heard some noise in the hallway. The sounds of running footsteps followed by the stairwell door opening and slamming shut. I shrugged it off as probably one of the other guys having some sort of drunken race around the dorm to pass the time away. Since in the winters in Wyoming, there's not a whole lot to do. It wasn't until it happened for a third time that I started to get annoyed, exhausted. I stumbled out of my bed and opened my door and waited for whoever it was to come running by again. After a couple of minutes, I could hear the heavy running footsteps on the hallway next to mine. Since it was a U-shaped building, I still couldn't see who it was yet. And I waited for them to come barreling around the corner so I could uh, tell them to knock it off. The sound got closer, and it finally sounded like someone was running down my hall coming towards me. Unfortunately, there was nothing to see, only what sounded like a large group of people running down the hall. I stood there in the doorway to my room, afraid to move, as the sound kept getting closer to my location. The loud thumping on the floor got louder and louder, and actually started to shake the door frame to my bedroom. Within seconds, the sound blew past me, and all of a sudden, the door to the stairwell flew open as if someone shoved their entire body weight into it, causing it to slam hard against the wall. Then it flew shut with a loud bang. Needless to say, I was scared shitless. So I immediately closed and locked my door and jumped back in bed and pulled the bed covers over my head like a little kid would. This happened several more times through my stay in the dorm until I moved out in the early spring of 1998. The second experience I have doesn't happen on F.E. Warren, but actually happened in the missile field as a maintenance technician. I'd be required to drive several hours away from the base to do maintenance on the remote missile silos throughout Wyoming, Nebraska, and northern Colorado. In the summer of 1999 and... One of my co-workers and I were driving back late in the night. We happened to be driving on a gravel road in northern Colorado that was known as the Grover Express. Name so it's passed through the town of Grover, Colorado. And wanted nothing more than to get home and get some rest. There had to be a full moon that night which illuminated the area and allowed us to see a great distance all around us. There were no trees, only open prairie, and the occasionally rocky bluff. We were driving a large truck that had some electrical issues, and the herd lights would turn off from time to time, but was easily remedied by giving the dashboard a good hard smack with a fist. As we drove down the desolate dirt road, my friend motioned to me to look up in front of about a quarter mile where there appeared to be someone walking on the side of the road. I thought this was really odd because we were in the middle of nowhere late at night. As we pulled up to the walking individual, my friend rolled down his window and called out to the person to make sure they were okay or if they needed a ride. The person appeared to be an older man wearing coveralls and a cowboy hat. The man just looked at us and, without saying a word, waved and continued walking down the side of the road. Assuming he was just a rancher out for a midnight stroll, my friend rolled up his window and started to speed up when all of a sudden, the headlights went out again. 
My friend slammed his fist into the dashboard and turned them back on. And as they did, the man that was walking on the side of the dirt road was now right in front of us. He slammed on the brakes. The truck slid on the gravel road, unable to get any traction. Everything happened so fast, and by the time the truck came to a halt, we both jumped out and went to see if we could find the old man we thought we'd hit. We looked everywhere around the truck and off to the side of the road, but we could not find any trace of this guy. We checked the front of the truck, and there, were no, there was no indication that we had even hit anything. After several minutes of looking around, we gave each other a nervous look and got back into the truck and hightailed it back to the base. We didn't talk at all on the way home, unsure of what had just happened. We didn't tell any one of this until we overheard some of the maintenance guys talking about seeing a guy walking out on the Grover Express late at night, only to disappear into thin air as they pulled up next to him. So we filled him in on an R experience. I don't know what it is about that area of the country, but... The amount of paranormal experiences that people have on the F.E. Warren definitely lead me to believe it's haunted. I'll write it again another time about the lady in black at the base cemetery and the screams that would come out of the abandoned building that was off limits to everyone. Thanks for reading my story. Love the show. Rob. I couldn't fathom thinking that I hit somebody out on the middle of nowhere road and, you know, you stop to look and see if you really did hit somebody and you don't see a body. I mean, there's been times where I've turned my car too sharp trying to get into a parking spot and it, you know, it made that kind of weird grinding noise. Mm-hmm. And I I freak out because I think I hit the car trying to get into the parking spot. Sure. So to think of hitting a person <clears throat> and then not seeing a body there, that would that would just drive me insane. I'd probably like to park the car on the side of the road and wait till morning. Yeah. And then check the ditches when I had full light just to just to be sure. Mm-hmm. They not actually run over an actual person that would be, you know, uh, it would be on my mind. And I would, like you, it would be sticking with me forever. Yeah. Until I actually knew the answer to that, uh, that question. The phone number, by the way, 855-853-4802. If you'd like to uh, call in a real ghost story to us this evening. Here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Jenny writes in, I've had many experiences in my life at every home that I've lived in. We just had moved into a new rental. The home was old, only the first built when the city was built. So I've had an eerie feeling in the home and we had many unexplained things happen. We had a son at the time. He was three and was very grounded, a very grounded child. One night... I put him to bed, then around midnight, I opened the door to check on him. I saw him standing at his window, in kind of a trance. I asked him what he was doing awake, and I got no answer. I then grabbed him and turned him again and asked, what are you doing? Then he had a look of sheer fear on his face and pointed, look mommy. There's a man hanging from that tree. I did not see anything, but did feel quite uneasy. I said, well, let's go back to bed, and Mommy will go help him. 
We both went back to bed, but a week later my son was in his room playing and I heard this gosh-awful, blood-curdling scream come from his room. I ran in and he said, There's a woman in the corner with blood coming from her face. Again, I did not see anything, so I picked up my son and turned to leave. Just then I felt very cold and felt someone grab me. I ran as quickly as I could out of that room. I never really liked that room. It always made me feel uneasy and very creeped out. You know, I, I just can't help but wonder what happened in that house. Because it, I'm sure, isn't stuff coming to the little boy. I'm thinking it's stuff that happened there that he's seeing in the past. You know, with either that hanging person outside, or I wonder if that scream was the scream of the, the girl with the blood on her face, not his scream. I'd like to know the age of the tree. You and your old wood. Good grief. <laughs> that is kind of the theme here. It's just... But no, I'm, not, I'm not thinking old wood. I'm, I'm, but I'm thinking, if you're seeing someone hanging from the tree, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously wondering, did the tree exist at a time where there could have been something happening in that tree? Or is there something completely different that's like manifesting, so, manifest, manifesting itself in the tree? Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I just thought you were on the kick of the old wood. No. Being no. haunted and okay. no, I'm just thinking. You know, how accurate is it of what he was seeing in the tree? As far as could it have been a residual type thing he was seeing? Could it have been something else just trying to freak the kid out? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good question. Oh. I don't know. Andrew writes in. I have a nice quick one for you guys. I moved into my uh, town home on July 27th of 2012 in Minnesota. The sellers were. Uh, a bad motor, we're in a bad motorcycle accident during the uh, closing process. The man was in a coma, and I later was informed that he had passed shortly after the closure of the sale. The woman was in critical condition. I had a family member with the uh, power of attorney do the final signature on the house. It was one week into having the new place for myself. Keep in mind, I live alone, and I'm the only one with a key to the place. The locks have been changed prior to moving in. I came home, came home to find my big candle that sits in the middle of the dining room table moved to the side shelf near the door, and it was lit. I freaked out and called my family members, inquiring about an occurrence, hoping to find an explanation. I was unable to discern the origin of the abnormality. I have not experienced any other paranormal activity since. Thoughts? I wonder if because the couple didn't actually go through the closing process, if their ghost thinks, or I don't know if she passed away, but his ghost possibly thinks that the house is still his. Or are they just kind of saying, hey, welcome to your new house? Literally housewarming by lighting a candle. Housewarming by lighting a candle. Okay. Just like a sign that we're still, you know, we're here. I don't know. That would mean it's one thing to like suddenly have the the candle placed across the the table to the other side of the room, but lit. Yeah, that's a little disturbing. That'd be difficult to get comfortable in that house. Yeah, because you don't know when there's going to be a fire danger. Well, that and just going forward, just kind of knowing, you know, when you go to a house, it's kind of like a fresh slate almost. You know, it's a new house, feels mm-hmm. good. It's a whole new thing. 
And then to know, oh, it's like immediately trampled upon by whatever the hell just lit that candle. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It makes you wonder, was the house haunted before, or is it possibly the the couple? Yeah. It's an interesting question. Melissa wrote in on, uh, on YouTube, said, We built a new house, and our two kids placed trinkets and toys inside the walls before we put the drywall up. There were messages on the framing all over the house as well. My friends and family wrote messages all over the framing and doorway doorway between the dining room and the living room before the trim went up. Whoever gets the house when we're dead and gone will find all sorts of things in the walls. That's kind of neat, though. It's kind of like your whole house is a time capsule then. And, you know, if you go back and remodel, you'll find your kids' toys or if somebody else gets it, you know. That's kind of a neat idea. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's one of those things where it's probably, it's an old-fashioned idea that has come back to life, I think, with folks finding these things so many generations after. It's almost like a a tradition that maybe have skipped a couple generations. Yeah, it's kind of like the shoes like we talked about yesterday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I got some explanations for that, and they're all over the place. Okay. For everything from uh, drug house to satanic rituals... Uh, it was usually fairly dark things, which all of which I, I don't tend to go with just kind of knowing the area where I'd seen a lot of the, the shoes hanging on the trees. Okay. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, kudos for the feedback, but I, I don't think it was those. I don't know. I think it's more <laughs> lighthearted, if you will. Yeah. Than drug house or, you know, but because this was like a, a picture, of a, a tree with as many Christmas ornaments on it as shoes there. That's, that's how that's how packed some of these trees were. That's just weird. Like, what is the purpose of it? I don't know. I should just Google. I could probably find it somewhere. So, yeah, you there probably you could. So, if you like the show, please uh, please become an EPP. You can sign up on our website, realghoststoriesonline.com. It's only five bucks a month. Your support helps keep our show alive. So check that out. Until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online.